Welcome to Kelly Dry's Full Spectrum Podcast, bringing together thought leaders in the technology, media, and telecommunications industries to discuss legal issues that are expected to impact today's organizations and tomorrow's marketplace. Show notes and additional episodes are available at kellydryfullspectrum.com. For more in-depth commentary, head to our blog at comlawmonitor.com. This podcast is produced by the Kelly Dry Communications Practice Group. Welcome to the Kelly Dry Full Spectrum Podcast. I'm Avani Bell, an associate in the firm's communications practice group. Joining me today are two partners in the group that specialize on spectrum matters, Chip Yorgaitis and Josh Guyon. Hello. Good morning. In this podcast episode, we will continue to highlight current spectrum policy issues with a focus on the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz spectrum range, commonly referred to as the C-band. The FCC plans to repurpose and reallocate portions of the band via an auction. Before we dig into the specific issues regarding the C-band, Chip, can you provide some background on the C-band? Who are the incumbent licensees and what kinds of stakeholders are interested in accessing the band? Thank you, Avani. Um, as an initial matter, uh, we'll use the term C-band today, but uh, it's worth being reminded that the C-band includes a large swath of mid-band frequencies uh, from 4 to 6 gigahertz under the uh, IEEE definition. And in fact, only 40% of the so-called C-band in the Commission's current 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz proceeding uh, is in the C-band. Other active proceedings uh, that I'll mention very briefly that involve the C-band spectrum in the broader sense include the Commission's 6 gigahertz proceeding, a proceeding just launched looking into sharing in the 5.9 gigahertz band between intelligent vehicles and Wi-Fi unlicensed uses, and the Commission's recent public notice looking at command and control spectrum for drones or UAVs in the 5030 to 5091 megahertz range. Now, getting back to our topic today, currently the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz band is allocated for two services on a primary basis, fixed satellite service and the fixed services. It's a non-federal only band, so there's no federal uh, use in the band. And in the proceeding the Commission has, it's looking to realign the band by providing spectrum for flexible, fixed, and mobile use that could be deployed to support 5G and other wireless applications. Another possible new entrant in the band would be point-to-multipoint fixed services. The mobile uses would require a new allocation in the band. The primary incumbents uh, are satellite operators like Intelsat, SES, and Utelsat that provide video and other content distribution to Earth Station receive sites that distribute video to MVPDs or cable companies, content to broadcast stations, and this all allows us to be entertained and informed. These satellite operators formed a coalition called the C-Band Alliance that has been a major stakeholder in the proceeding, although UTELSAT is no longer a member. The C-Band Alliance members are all licensed by the FCC within the United States. Other satellite operators uh, are operating in the United States in the band, through U.S. market entry, including a group of self-styled uh, small satellite operators, which includes Hispasat, Claro, and ABS. 
The C-band satellite services support applications other than video and audio content distribution. For example, there's more than 140 C-band commercially operated receive-only earth stations that feed the Advanced Weather Interactive Processing System, or AWIPS. These are workstations used by the federal government to support downlink of weather-related data, which are used in real time for operational purposes. And I should note that uh, Kelly Dry represents Raytheon Company, which supports these 12 dozen stations in the interest of full disclosure. Overall, there are more than 16,000 registered and licensed Earth Station operators in the band using satellite services. In addition to the satellite operators, major players in the FCC's proceeding from the perspective of Earth Station operators, satellite customers, include the cable operators and associations like Comcast, Charter, and ACA Connects, as well as the content providers like Disney and uh, the National Association of Broadcasters and others that are aligned with the cable operators in their position to support video distribution in the band. Fixed point-to-point -point wireless licenses have been authorized in the U.S. for quite some time, but they've never achieved large numbers in this band. The reason for that is that while co-primary, fixed licensees have had to coordinate with satellite operations under what was called the full band, full arc policy that has made the band challenging to use for microwave operations. As a result, there are not a large number of fixed licenses today. In its proceeding, the Commission, as I mentioned, is looking to realign the band by allowing for flexible, fixed, and mobile use that would be deployed to support 5G and other wireless applications. Proponents of flexible, fixed, and mobile use are the other group of major stakeholders, and this includes wireless carriers like AT&T, Verizon, and T-Mobile, and the trade association CTIA. They've championed, championed everything in this band, from several hundred megahertz of spectrum being made available to the entire band being dedicated for flexible mobile use. Finally, there are proponents of point-to-point, -point, multi-point service, championed by companies such as Google and Microsoft and the trade association WISPA. They hope to make a stronger go of fixed services than has been done under the current regulatory framework while sharing with earth station operators in the portion of the band that remains for satellite usage. Okay, thank you. I mean, I think as a follow-on to that, recently in a letter to Senator Kennedy, um, a Republican from Louisiana, Chairman Pai stated that he intends to conduct a public auction of the C-band that would clear 280 megahertz for auction and allot 20 megahertz to a guard band. For this discussion, I think we're going to focus on the issues related to the C-band that remain unsolved. A private auction, if allowed, presumably would have targeted proceeds from the auction directly to satellite operator licensees. Josh, how does a public auction change the compensation calculus for satellite operators? And will that affect their incentives to support realignment in the band? Right, Avani. So what you're referring to is CBA had been championing this idea that they would be in charge of a private auction process that would allow them to compensate their members, the, the satellite operators, um, both for their you know costs of relocation as well as some kind of incentive uh, um, um, reimbursements as well. Now that we know it's going to be an FCC-run auction, um, <clears throat> we take a look at kind of what are the options for the FCC to compensate um, the incumbents in the band, again, both for relocation-type costs, but also for incentive-type costs uh, or incentive-type payments um, to have this become a, a quick and smooth process, which I think um, everyone is, is interested in. Um, 
So basically, you know, the, the question that remains here is how to compensate the incumbents to transition them to the upper 200 megahertz of the band that's between 4 and 4.2 gigahertz. That can be done with an incentive auction, like was done with the broadcasters in the 600 megahertz band. But it's a little bit of a different situation here because, in that case, um, as we've talked about a few times, there there was um, you know blocks in that band, 600 megahertz, um, that the licensees held and could put up for um, for auction um, at a set amount of money. Whereas in this case, uh, all of the satellite operators have use of the entire band, and it's not broken up geographically as well. Um, so there's a little bit more of a complication to an incentive uh, auction as well as the fact that you know the, the chairman has indicated, as, as you mentioned, that we want 280 megahertz of spectrum to be made available for flexible use, and it's hard with an incentive auction to guarantee that exact amount of spectrum um, would become available. Alternatively, the commission, um, a lot of stakeholders have argued that um, that uh, the commission could compensate uh, the incumbents. They could modify their licenses to move them to the upper 200 uh, megahertz of the band, um, having more traditional auction, not an incentive auction, but a traditional auction for the lower 280 megahertz, um, and then impose kind of licensing conditions that required those uh, auction licensees to pay something to the incumbents um, for uh, transitioning, again, both from a cost perspective as well as uh, to compensate them for their loss of spectrum. Yeah, I think one of the issues is, you know, what have they lost, right? On the one hand, uh, if you can successfully transition the earth station operators uh, up to, say, the, the upper 200 megahertz of the band, some would argue that they, they haven't lost anything because they can still serve all the customers they currently right. have. Whereas some of the satellite operators have certainly operated that it's not so much what is our current use of the band, but what is the current amount of spectrum? What is our potential use of the band? We're losing that opportunity. Right, and their investment may be based upon their ability to grow within that band that they, they might not be able to. Uh, and then, of course, as part of the auction, you could also allocate a portion of auction proceeds for those payments uh, you know, for, to the uh, incumbent operators. Chip just mentioned the Earth Station operators. Are they or any other entities besides satellite operators um, eligible to be compensated, or is there a discussion about possible compensation for those individuals, for um, those entities? Yeah, so that is that is one um, contentious area within the proceeding is this idea of do the Earth Stations have licenses, they have registrations, do those count as licenses or not? Uh, I won't attempt to resolve that question uh, you know, on this podcast, but that certainly has been um, a contention. I think... Most parties and or most stakeholders in, in the proceeding at this point still uh, believe that those uh, earth stations are going to need to get reimbursed for relocating, and whether that's part of the payments that go to the satellite operators that then work with the earth stations, or whether that's something that goes more directly to the earth stations. I think it seems likely that they will have to be compensated in some manner for um, relocating to the to the upper two hundred uh, megahertz. Um, yeah, I, I would only add that I think the. Definitely the case that that was a contentious issue, whether the earth station operators could be considered licensees. Uh, but I think, to a certain extent, the proceeding, and the, and uh, we'll see if it's true with the commission, have, have moved beyond that. There's a general recognition that compensation is appropriate for the registered and licensed earth station operators. And the other issue from a kind of money perspective, right, where does the money go um, that the FCC is going to have to decide and potentially with help from Congress, we'll talk a little bit more about um, some of the bills in Congress uh, a bit later, but is what happens with the money that's raised in the auction. Some of that may be peeled off for the relocation costs and for payments to the, the incumbents, um, but certainly some, some of it, if not all of it, under 
various scenarios, you know, needs to go to the Treasury, which is what happens generally with, with auction revenues that the FCC generates. Um, and then there's a lot of talk about some of it going into various rural broadband programs. Um, we know, you know, Chairman Pai is certainly happy um, to dole out large amounts of money um, for rural broadband development. They, they just released the order on the um, Rural Development Opportunities Fund um, that's $20 billion over 10 years. So, um, you know, to the extent he gets the opportunity, I think he's... Um, you know, interested in doing that, but I don't know that you know they may need some legislative help to, to be able to do that. Interesting. So, with respect to the satellite operators, to the extent that they or any other licensees are not satisfied with the proposed auction approach, would they have the ability to challenge the FCC's order adopting the C-band regulatory framework? Josh, do you have any thoughts on that? Yeah, and that's that's been um, something discussed quite a bit in the record as well. I think you know the primary issue there is are they able to receive compensation that makes them happy in some way uh, or another, whether it's through an incentive auction where they're you know putting up um, their own spectrum for money, or whether it's something that gets allocated by the commission um, as from auction revenues or whatnot. If they're happy with the amounts of compensation they're getting, I think it's unlikely um, that they would bring a lawsuit. But if they were to be unhappy with that situation and were to bring a lawsuit, it would likely be under Section 316 of the Communications Act. Um, that allows the FCC to modify a license um, under certain conditions, and those conditions are if it promotes the public interest, convenience, and necessity. So as you can imagine, that language is not... Um, well-defined. Uh, there's a lot of gray area in public interest, convenience, and necessity. So it's something that would be ripe for, for litigation. Um, and, you know, it's unlikely. I, I think most, at least a lot of the um, stakeholders have argued that it's unlikely they would be able to get a stay, that they would be able to show um, what you need to get a stay, which includes likelihood of success as well as irreparable harm that would occur to, the, to their operations in order to, to have a stay on moving forward with the auction. And so, you know, if that were to be the case and they were to have pending litigation ongoing while the FCC moved forward with an auction because we know that they want to move quickly, um, then, then what we have to assess is, well, what's the impact on that auction? What, what uh, perceived impact could there be on the value of the licenses um, that are sold in that auction if there's this cloud of, of litigation hanging over it? And I think the inability to quantify what that harm would be, whether it's to the auction process itself or to the licensees, the satellite licensees whose licenses might be changed, would come into the calculus of whether there was irreparable harm, since the issue is would money damages be sufficient to compensate uh, the party that's claiming harm and seeking the stay. So it, 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 it's an interesting question. We don't know whether we'll get there because it really depends on whether the commission can adopt a framework that uh, makes the satellite licensees sufficiently happy with how they will be compensated and how they will be able to operate going forward that they don't see the need to, uh, to challenge uh, the, the, the decision. And I would also note that actually uh, we're going to talk about a few of the bills in Congress. One of the bills actually deals with that, you know, the authority um, for them to modify the licenses and would essentially um, largely remove the litigation potential there. Um, but the other kind of two bills that we're going to talk about don't address it. Thanks, Josh. Well, Chairman Pai has stated an end of 2020 gold for the auction. This may be a tight timeline since the issue is not up for a vote on the next open meeting agenda, as some had expected. What are the next steps to set up the ban for an auction? 
Yeah, I've seen those recent reports that the chairman wants to at least start an auction by the end of the year. So that means they need to um, adopt an order. Seems likely that it would be on the next agenda for the end of February, but that's um, a guess at this point. So they need to adopt an order, an order on the auction, how they're going to do it, um, the spectrum to be re- reallocated, um, and then potentially also a lot of parties are calling for an FNPRM, you know, further notice of proposed rulemaking to um, seek comment on additional technical issues and transition process and timing issues that have not um, been fully developed in the record um, for a decision. So they've got to do that. Then they've got to have a comment cycle on the FNPRM. Um, They've got to um, potentially decide the issues from that FNPRM. Um, They've got to release a public notice on the auction procedures uh, and then have a comment cycle on that, as well as design and start the auction. So a lot to be done in a year. I'll note also, of course, that the FNPRM issues possibly can continue on in parallel while they're working on the auction. They can still be working out transition issues and how how that will occur. As far as the transition goes, um, the timeline that's been mostly discussed was originally proposed by you know the CBA when they were saying they would do this transition, um, and they t- talked about doing the f- uh, moving the first hundred megahertz in eighteen months, and then the rest in thirty six months. So about a thirty six month time frame, and I think that the wireless carriers um, have um, taken to that because they want to. We have the spectrum made flexible as quickly as possible, and so the 36 months is something they have clung on to. Um, and, but the, uh, for example, the ACA connects um, has called that timeline unrealistic and said that you know they believe it's more like five years. Interesting. I guess that remains to be seen. <laughs> I think we can be sure it won't be shorter <laughs> than the 18 and 36 months. Right. Okay. In addition to the basic regulatory framework, type and timing of auction license bandwidth and geographic size and transition issues. Chip, can you tell us if there are any technical issues that need to be addressed as a part of this consideration? Uh, certainly. Uh, there, there are a number of technical issues that will need to be addressed. Uh, they, they've already been vetted to a certain extent within the record, uh, and it remains to be seen whether the commission will try to tackle some of those in an initial order or leave them for some sort of further notice. Um, one of the issues is uh, exactly how the guard band is set up, the 20 megahertz guard band, uh, which under the current discussion of 280 would be at the 3980 to 4000 uh, megahertz range. Uh, AT&T, for example, has been a consistent proponent of some sort of coordinated use of that by the, the uh, flexible mobile use licensees. Um, so we don't just let that 20 megahertz remain fallow and, and uh, be an inefficient use of a spectrum. Uh, other issues, uh, there's the measure of protection that earth station operators will receive. That's yet to be determined. Uh, from the start, the commission has indicated that registered and licensed earth station operators would be protected from harmful interference. Uh, a lot of that protection will occur after the transition because they'll be in a separate band. Um, however, there, there are some indications that there may be out-of-band issues from the, the new commercial flexible use spectrum into uh, the remaining spectrum that's going to be used by earth station operators. Uh, Charter, in fact, uh, just at the end of the year, raised concerns that the commission may have to consider different categories of C-band licenses and different sub-bands to deal with this issue. Um, In addition, there may be a question during the transition of what sort of protection earth station operators will receive from auction winners that want to access 
the spectrum uh, earlier before the transition is complete if they're given that opportunity. So there might have to be a protection or a coordination zone around earth stations that haven't yet transitioned to the upper part of the band. Um, second, there are some satellite uh, earth station operations that just can't readily be moved. Uh, just above the 3.7 gigahertz uh, line, for example, within several tens of megahertz of the band edge, there are a number of earth stations that provide telemetry, tracking, and control to satellites. And, and the record uh, not only indicates that they can't be retuned, but there is still some controversy as to how much protection they're entitled to. The C-Band Alliance wanted to provide for 150-kilometer protection, and they were talking about reducing the total number uh, of such links uh, to, to around four. Um, but AT&T has pushed back and said that uh, that much of a protection zone uh, isn't warranted. And there are other uh, types of telemetry operations in the lower part of the band. For example, Lockheed Martin has mentioned that uh, just inside the 3700 megahertz band edge, uh, there are operations that are necessary for space vehicle launch and early orbit operations that will require protection. Uh, in addition, just above the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz band, uh, there are 200 megahertz of spectrum that's used by radio altimeters, which are an important navigational safety system that aviation uses widely uh, across many classes of user groups, uh, the, the passenger airlines, general aviation, and helicopters. And just in, in October, preliminary test results and analysis were put into the FCC record indicating that there may be uh, potential harmful interference uh, with the, the uh, commercial mobile use of the bottom 280 or 300 megahertz of spectrum in the 3.7 to 4.2. Uh, the aviation industry indicates that further testing and refinement of the analysis is being done, so we'll just have to wait and see what that shows. And, and Again, in the interest of full disclosure, I will mention that Kelly Drive represents Aviation Spectrum Resources, Inc., one of the uh, key proponents in the aviation industry on this issue. Uh, there's also an adjacent band issue on the lower portion of the 3.7 to 4.2. Uh, this is right above the so-called 3.5 uh, gigahertz band, and in particular, uh, federated Wireless, which is one of the spectrum access system administrators in the 3.5 gigahertz band, which is where the Citizens Broadband Radio Service, or CBRS, uh, is going to be. They raise concerns about the potential for harmful interference to the general authorized access users in the uh, 3650 to 3700 megahertz band. So that may be another issue that the Commission would need to resolve uh, before the, uh, the C-band could be uh, implemented. Um, and, uh, you know, as Josh said, there may, there may need to be a uh, further notice to address these issues. Okay. Additionally, as I understand it, there are a group of wireless service providers that are advocating for point-to-multipoint operations to be allowed in the portion of the C-band where earth stations would be located. CHIP. Provide some detail on the issues involved with making that spectrum available for that purpose. I'm glad to do that, Avani. Uh, the proposal to introduce the point-to-multipoint operations in the band 
goes all the way back to 2017 when the Broadband Access Coalition filed a petition for rulemaking uh, advocating for coordinated sharing within the uh, 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz band to allow for more intensive use by fixed wireless applications such as rural broadband uh, while protecting, of course, the earth station operations. Um, that hasn't garnered the same headlines as these auction issues that we've been talking about and, and the flexible uh, use entry into the band. But advocates for these services, which includes the Wireless Internet Service Providers Association, or WISPA, as well as uh, Microsoft and Google, among others, they've continued to keep this issue alive. And they, and they think that uh, as many as 80 million Americans in the band can be reached while still protecting relocated Earth Station operators in whatever part of the band remains for satellite services. Um, and, but a number of parties, uh, such as uh, Disney, the National Association of Broadcasters, uh, and, and, Dis and Discovery, they've pushed back. They argue that the introduction of these point-to-multipoint services in the repacked upper portion of the band would actually jeopardize the successful transition of the earth stations in the lower portion of the band uh, into the upper portion of the band to make possible the the auction that we've been talking about i think they've argued you know at the very least you know do do this transition first and then maybe save this issue for later right <laughs> yeah no that's one possibility i think the commission has considerable flexibility about uh, how to resolve the issue, whether and when to permit point-to-multipoint, because it's not directly tied to making spectrum available right. for the auction. Um, and you know, just as there are issues with the uh, use by flexible mobile in the lower portion of the band, uh, there are some technical issues involving the point-to-multipoint. Uh, you know, one of them is just how much protection or what what type of protection. Uh, would be offered to the earth station operators. Uh, and another is just the issue of priority between the earth station operators. Because at some point, the commission is going to leave, lift the freeze, presumably, on uh, new earth station deployments. And the question will be uh, if those come in later after a point to multi point system has been deployed, uh, you know, which system would have priority? Um, and again, we're moving closer to the radio altimeters above 4,200, uh, and, and the question is, are there compatibility questions that would need to be resolved there? The, um, the uh, fixed proponents looked at the analysis that was put in by the aviation industry and indicated that their assessment is that these problems can be uh, resolved, and I think the aviation industry is continuing to look at this issue as well. So that's that's another issue that would have to be resolved, I think, before the point-to-multipoint uh, services would be uh, permitted into that upper portion of the band. Okay. One other matter is that um, we see some MVPDs, which include cable, cable provider representatives, have been pushing for earth stations to be able to migrate the video distribution services that currently run over C-band spectrum to fiber as a part of this proceeding. Josh, what is this fiber matter really about? 
Right. So, I mean, obviously when we're talking about, you know, video distribution, probably a lot of people don't realize what Chip said earlier, which is that a lot of the video that you get from your local cable provider is actually provided via satellite at some point first before it gets put onto fiber or cable lines or whatever and gets and gets to your house. And so obviously what that means is for, for those that are using the C-band now for that kind of distribution, you can obviously also do that with fiber lines coming from wherever the video is coming from before it, before it goes up um, to a satellite. Um, and so primarily this has been a, um, uh, an issue that's been raised by ACA Connects in, in the band in its most recent filing. It says that uh, fiber backhaul should be deemed a comparable facility and the MVPD earth station operators uh, should be free to use relocation funds for fiber solutions. So basically, if you have fiber close enough to um, where you need it to get uh, and you want to use that as a solution instead of um, uh, instead of the C-band, that you should be able to use relocation funds to, to you know, build that fiber out. Um, ACA Connects argues that um, relocating to the upper 200 megahertz of the C-band and switching to fiber carry roughly the same costs, uh, somewhere between 2.4 and 4.6 billion dollars, and they say would take roughly the same amount of time. Again, they're thinking in terms of a five-year time frame and not the 36 months. So they argue that the CBA three-year time estimate is, is unrealistic. So they're saying, well, if the timing and the costs are about the same, then you should be able to consider fiber, fiber alternatives as well. Yeah, and I think if it's an issue of flexibility as opposed to being mandatory, uh, there's a general openness in the record for that. And, and you know, it's interesting, T-Mobile recently put in uh, an ex parte where they try to uh, comment in a broad way on, on the framework uh, for the transition. And, and, and they, they want to be sure that the commission, when it adopts rules, will... Uh, perhaps not encourage, but at least permit uh, the auction winners, in addition to paying their bids on the for the licenses and any uh, other payments which may be separate and mandated for compensation to the satellite uh, service operators, that they also have the ability, if they so choose, to sort of up the ante even more to clear the spectrum even sooner. And I think uh, you know that would that would go toward potentially making the the fiber transition for those earth station operators willing to do it uh, occur more smoothly and rapidly. Okay. Well, before we wrap up, we should discuss Congress for a moment. When the issue of the public versus private auction was initially still unclear, many legislators began introducing bills on the topic. Now that those issues appear to be largely resolved, given Chairman Pai's recent statements about what type of auction he envisions, we still are seeing some activity on Congress. Josh, are there other issues regarding the C-band being considered in proposed legislation? Yeah, there are still um, bills out there. I'll talk about three of them. I agree with you. I think that um, the the um, impetus for a lot of the activity on the Hill was this uncertainty as to you know, private auction versus public auction and, and how that would work. And so that that kicked up a lot of the um, the, the bills here. Um, and, and so it's died down a bit uh, since that's gone. But of course, we'll have to see what comes out in the order, and so it may it may rise again. Um, first, there's the. Um the uh, Senator Wicker, Senators Wicker and Thune, um, uh, put in the 5G Spectrum Act uh, in the Senate. It, pa- it passed the Senate Commerce Committee, so that's the bill that's actually gotten the farthest. Um, it passed on a party line vote, and what they attempted to attach it to the fiscal year 2020 um, uh, minibus appropriations bill that was signed recently by the president. It did not get attached, so it uh, remains um, in the Senate. That bill would have made at least 280 megahertz available for terrestrial use. That's easy, right? That's already going to happen. 
happen, it seems. Um, but it also called for uh, 50% of the gross proceeds um, that are deposited in the Treasury um, from the auction, and then the rest of it could be used for um, relocation of, of incumbent license or, or registered receive-only earth station operators in the, in the band and relocation and compensation of licensees or, or grantees of market access rights in the covered band. So what, I'm, what that means me is that that bill is actually considering the, not only the satellite operators in the band, um, as Chip mentioned, the ones that are foreign satellite companies with market access, but also the earth station, the registered earth stations in the band. And, and so they were saying the proceeds could be used for compensation for, for all of that. Um, there's also in the House side, um, the um, Representative Doyle, uh, as well as some other co-sponsors, uh, and so this is a bipartisan bill, have the C-Band Act um, that has a companion bill in the, in the Senate um, offered by Senator Kennedy. That would require clearing between 200 and 300 megahertz of, of spectrum, so in line with, with what seems is going to happen, um, through a competitive bidding process, so through an auction. Um, and then it, it just argues pretty high level. It says that it would ensure that C-band dependent users receive equal or better service as before, including continuously throughout the transition process. So that bill is fairly high level. It doesn't seem to get into the details and do as much as the other bills. Um, it doesn't say anything, for example, about where the revenues from the auction go. Um, the Also in the Senate, there is a bill that's been introduced by Senators Cantwell and Schatz um, called Investing in America's Digital Infrastructure Act. That would put almost all of the auction proceeds into a digital divide trust fund um, that essentially would be for the FCC to support mobile and wired broadband in underserved and unserved areas, as well as for the National NTIA, uh, the NTIA and National Highway Traffic Safety Administration NG911 program. Uh, and that's the bill that I mentioned earlier that also cut off uh, the protest right for the incumbents um, relating to modifications to their licenses under Section 316. Yeah, I'd, I'd note that just today uh, in, in the trade press, uh, Senator Kennedy was uh, quoted as saying that we're watching the FCC like a hawk. <laughs> Um, and, and I think he was referring mostly to the question of how the money is used, because they're worried uh, that the commission might set up a compensation package for the uh, incumbent satellite licensees that uh, would, in some people's view, such as people on the Hill, uh, represent a windfall to right. those. So they want to prevent that from happening. But I think in terms of the commission moving forward, absent a requirement from Congress to move the money into a particular rural broadband fund of one sort or another or some other type of fund, uh, the money would just go into the general treasury. Right. There's no federal spectrum involved here, so none of it's going to go to the spectrum relocation fund. I mean, the commission's uh, ability to move the money other than for compensation of those licensees that have to leave the band uh, is pretty limited unless they're directed by Congress. Right. Okay, interesting. Um, well, Josh and Chip, any final thoughts or things our listeners should keep in mind as we await next steps on the C-band? Just one um, item that I'll mention. I mean, Chip talked about the kind of direct impact on the 3.5 gigahertz band um, at the lower end of, uh, of this band from a technical perspective with the CBRS licensees. There's also a potential impact um, less directly but from kind of an auction exhaustion perspective because that band, um, while it also has uh, the, the general authorized users that are currently um, in the band, the next kind of tier is a three-tier you know, license uh, system. The, the next tier is the um, priority access licenses that 
the PALS, um, and they're having an auction uh, starting in June for those licenses. Um, and uh, similar entities you would think would be interested. These are, you know, all of this is spectrum being made available for flexible use for commercial mobile providers. So it's your same, you know, um, the, the wireless carrier kind of entities that would be interested in this uh, mid-band spectrum. And so, um, you know, there, there are those that think that the C-band spectrum is more is potentially more valuable um, the way it's being the way it would be made available um, than the CBRS spectrum and so with the idea that we're potentially going to get to an auction of the C-band spectrum this year you wonder what impact that might have on the CBRS auction that is already scheduled for June. Yeah, I think when the CBRS auction uh, and that whole proceeding was uh, taking shape and moving forward, and then after the new administration came in and there was a revisiting right. of the uh, structure of the C-band to make it more attractive to the commercial wireless operators. You mean the 3.5 gigahertz? Uh, yes. Yeah. Yes. Mm -hmm. To make the 3.5 gigahertz band more attractive to the commercial wireless operators, uh, we didn't know about the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz band and the possibility right. that it, it would become available for commercial wireless operators. So I think the, the attractiveness of that 3.5 gigahertz band uh, will be subject to test through the auction, given that right behind it, uh, they can expect uh, to have potentially 280 megahertz of spectrum where become available. In a band where if you've moved, if you have successfully moved the incumbents out, you know, or up to the top 200 megahertz, you have some pretty clear spectrum as opposed to in the CBRS band where you have to share it with the GAA users as well as the incumbents, the it's Navy radars essentially, right, that they have to work around, you know, with ex exclusion zones. So, you know, it's, it's a clearer spectrum. Um, yeah. And more of it. More of it, yeah. Yeah, I think the chairman is pretty optimistic that everyone will just keep wanting all the spectrum. So, Abney, it's interesting that you say that the, the chairman uh, is of the view that uh, more and more spectrum will be wanted because I think it's fair to say that the 3.7 to 4.2 gigahertz proceeding is hardly the end of the story for the mid-band. Uh, the mobile industry will continue to look for other spectrum opportunities within the so-called mid-band. I think, I think we can uh, be very confident of that. And in fact, I mean, the Commission already has the 6 gigahertz proceeding uh, looking to uh, realign or, or uh, make available for new entrants, uh, in that case, uh, unlicensed use, uh, 1,200 megahertz of spectrum between 5925 and 7125 megahertz. Um, but the mobile industry in that proceeding has uh, made some recent proposals uh, through CTIA uh, and others to move incumbents out from the upper portion of that band and make it available on a licensed exclusive basis through auctions for uh, flexible fixed and mobile use. Um, and the commission recently launched a proceeding to look at non-federal user sharing in the 3.1 to 355 gigahertz band uh, and in that same band, Congress has asked FCC and NTIA, part of the Department of Commerce, to study whether some of that 3.1 to 3.55 gigahertz spectrum, which is used primarily by the federal government for radars and other applications, can be made available for commercial wireless licensing. And, and of course, it's not just the United States that's looking at the question of finding more mid-band spectrum for mobile use. Uh, as a participant in the World Radio Communication Conference, 
2019, late 2019 in Sharm el-Sheikh, Egypt, this past fall. Uh, I was a member of the United States delegation, and I witnessed firsthand the, the intense interest in finding more spectrum in an already crowded field for International Mobile Telecommunications, or IMT, as is generally known. Uh, many bands were considered in the mid-band range from 3 to 24 gigahertz as part of a future IMT agenda item to be uh, addressed during the four-year cycle leading up to the next uh, World Radio Communications Conference in 2023. And ultimately, an agenda item, agenda item 1.2, was adopted, which will look at frequency-related matters for terrestrial IMT identifications in the frequency bands 3.3 to 3.4 gigahertz, 3.6 to 3.8 gigahertz, 6.425 to 7.025 gigahertz, and uh, two other bands above 7.025. So, as I say, it's hardly the end of the story. And there are two other agenda items for WORK 23 that are also looking at mobile spectrum matters within the mid-band. Okay, thanks. I think that's all we have for time for today. Listeners should keep an eye out for the next in our Spectrum series, which will revisit the C-band topic when the FCC takes further action. The views and ideas expressed on this program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views of Kelly Dry and Warren LLP its staff or management.